This is Faith Fulcrum, a podcast for anyone trying to balance faith and tradition with contemporary challenges. I'm Scott Simpson. And I'm Mark Baldridge, and our conversation grows from a lifetime friendship born within a Bible-centered community of believers. We don't always agree. So you don't have to either. Weigh what we have to say in the scales of your own faith and see. You're listening to episode number two, This and That. Scott, I think I mentioned last time, I wanted to talk about moral relativism. Yeah. Even saying it, it kind of stumbles over my tongue. Moral relativism. You know. Relativism. Relativism. Yeah. Yeah. Relativism. It, well, it's one of those things. I have a, I have a visceral, long-learned res- response to that. To what? Just moral relativism. Relativism? Um, yeah. It's wishy-washy. Ah, oh, yes. You know? Right. Wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. It's like what you do if you just really want to do what you want to do. You're right. I think that's the reputation it has. I think, right. so, I think so, yeah. Maybe I'm being provocative by saying I'm an advocate of moral relativism. I was, I think, 14. 15, mm-hmm. preacher said, well, that's moral relativism. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but I knew I liked the sound of it. <laughs> as you know, as a youth, I was re- very into spirituality, Christianity, and scriptures. I would say uh, I'm less devout yeah. today. I was a big a fan of theories about the human mind and theories about the origin of the universe. And I was a big fan of Albert Einstein. Yes, I remember yeah. that. And, and, and uh, specifically relativity. Relativism. <laughs> yes. Relativity. Yeah, that's right. Right. There's something that, that makes us want an absolutism. Yeah. To say, okay, this is the way it is. No matter where you're standing, this is the way it is. If you're traveling at light speed on a train. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. And I have a couple of verses I want to look at. It's in Mark 10. Sure. The setup is the Pharisees have shown up with another little trick for Jesus. In the Gospels, this is like a running joke. Yeah, yeah. Right? Let's let's, yeah. let's catch him. He's uh, he's popular right now. Let's uh, let's trip him up publicly. They operated on similar turf. I think. Yeah, yeah. And and they were vying for the same audience. So they say, "What do you think about divorce?" Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, "Moses gave you divorce because your hearts were hard." But I say, and then he goes on. But he's not interpreting Moses. He's correcting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, what's your reading of that passage? This is a pattern that Jesus does. He takes, yes. he takes something that was part of the law that they're, they're looking at very mechanically in the, in the realm of what you do, what you can mm. do or what you can't do, and he moves it over to the realm of the heart. So that what he changes it into is, if you lust after a woman, you've yes. already committed adultery. That seems to me the really uh, uh, the salient part. Would you go ahead and read uh, what he says? Uh, do you have the verse up there? Yeah, yeah, I've got it right here. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, what did Moses command you, he replied, which is one thing I always like. He asked them to just tell him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. This is the, a running gag in the Gospels. The mm-hmm. Pharisees show up, they're going to trick Jesus. Another another running gag, a very similar style, but a kind of inversion, is when Peter doesn't get it. You know those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus will say something, and Peter will will say, it's because we brought no bread or something. Jesus will be like, no, you, no you're totally not mm-hmm. getting it, right? I think these, these stories exist for a reason. He doesn't interpret Moses in a new way. Mm-hmm. He corrects Moses. Right. And then later on, he kind of, he just dusts them off. This is the punchline of this joke every time. 
Jesus mm-hmm. knows better than the Pharisees. Right? It reminds me of the woman caught in adultery, right? Yeah, yeah. That's in John, John 8. They say, here we caught this woman in adultery. What should we do? And you know what the law says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She should be yeah, put to death. We should put her to death right here on the public street. That's and what's very so interesting is they go into this conversation with Jesus knowing the answer. And that's, I mean, that's the trick. We know, we know yeah. the answer. Everyone knows the right. answer. So we're going to ask you and see if you can right. give well, it. Well, he's, they think he's soft. He's not yeah. going to say, yep, I'm going to cast the first stone. He says, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but you start. And uh, I want the person who's never sinned to be the one to start. And so... Right. After a while, (laughs) the crowd thins. He says, even though the law says, I should kill you now, even my own interpretation of the law says, well, I'm the the one here without sin, so I I should be the one to kill you. He is not going to obey that law. What do you make of the fact that his answer to her is, I don't condemn you? Right. I think you're hitting it right on the head. He is saying, I'm going to be the judge, not the law. Not God's law. I think as Christians, uh, people might look at this and say, well, he is come to fulfill the law, as he says, and he's rewriting it. He's wheeling. He's dealing. It's all in flux. Mm -hmm. He's going to make it new. He's going to make everything new, including the law. Mm -hmm. So it's his, it's himself that is the key element here. He's different. From us, yeah, and and that's that's the point, and this is the this is the tension. Okay, for me, when I was yep. younger, this is the tension. It was told to me over and over the model that I should be following. It's WWJD. What what would Jesus do? That's what I should be doing. Okay, but then he does these things yeah. where we have to say, well, he gets to do that because he's the Messiah. Yeah. I don't get to say, yeah, I know the law says that, but... Right. So there's this tension between, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be like Jesus, or am I supposed to just... <laughs> right. I don't know. He gets to do that, but that's not... that's. I don't get to do that. I think the church today would frown on it if yeah. uh, individual... Christians or groups of Christians or whole churches stormed uh, money changers, <laughs> uh, bankers. Yeah, so yeah. storming the financial institutions with with handmade whips would be, I think, probably frowned yeah. on. So yeah. it seems to me that what we're viewing here is a, a sort of context that Jesus is different from us, and so the rules are different for him, and he can change or bend the rules at his will. It's context. Who is making this? Yeah. That's what makes it right or wrong. Mm-hmm. If the, one of the Pharisees said, we're going to do, get, do away with stoning, that wouldn't have been appropriate or right. It's Jesus' mm-hmm. identity that makes it right. It's the context that makes it right. I wonder if one of the Pharisees had stood up and said, wait a minute, let's not yeah. stone this woman. We've yeah. all done bad things. It seems to me that Jesus might have said, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, rather than say, whoa, that's that's against the law. You got to let me well, it, yeah. make that statement. It's, it's fun I mean, to guess. Know, it's fun to guess what he might have done. I'm just going with what's written in the Bible. You can you can yeah, you can have fun. Well, that you can sounds have fun with your guessing game. But it that that's what I am doing. I am trying. Yes. You you're speaking. You're I'm speaking, speaking where the Bible speaks. And it's, well, I'm not just, I'm not going to be silent where it's silent. But I don't okay. know uh, I've never seen a, any anybody ever do that successfully. <laughs> Yeah, so I right, think right. that it's the context that makes it right or wrong. It's who he is that makes it right or wrong. It's not always right. So, so I don't want to split hairs, but I, I do want to ask this. And yeah. 
Um, and if this is getting us off track, then no, no, there is no track. Adjust it. So, where does the difference between that and the argument that that's not really what those words meant? I don't know whether there were teachers other than Jesus who said, "I don't think that's exactly what that means." I don't think that there. I think there's another way to look at that. Is he doing um, that though? Is he saying? Is he reinterpreting no, the, the text? No, no, he's not. No, no he's not. He's in but, one but case. I, he's he's boldly contradicting it. He con- I guess what I'm saying. contradicts Moses. Right, right. But I guess what I'm suggesting is that we've got multiple relativisms going on here. Right? Yes, well, you I always mean, do. Yeah. That there's a relativism in that's that I think is in, inherent in language yeah. because meaning is a transaction. It's not the black words on the white page. Meaning is something that's somewhere in me after I've looked at those black words on the white page. Well, really, you generate it. Yeah. We are makers of meaning. It's the human product. Bees make honey. Right. Human beings make meaning. Right. And we make it out of everything, not just out of Scripture. We make it out of our observations of the of the universe, whether they're scientific or just anecdotal. Right. Uh, all, meaning is not, all meaning is not truth. A, a lie is a meaningful so statement. So isn't it clear that any meaning that I make out of anything, whether it be Scripture or the Constitution or my scientific data, any yeah. meaning that I make out of it is by its very nature relative. It's something that I made, but it might not be the exact same thing that you're going to make. You're exactly right. And that is actually where I'm headed. I mean, this is my point. Everything is relative to something else. Yeah. I'm not even sure you exist because I, you know, I, I know all the things that I've taken in from you yeah, over yeah. all these years. I know that those things, but my understanding of, of Mark is something that is hopelessly locked within me. Wow, that's so romantic. <laughs> you that are so romantic. you are you are hopelessly locked within me, my friend. That is wild. <laughs> I, I'm blushing. Okay, so um, well, that's interesting. I have no idea really where that was, where that what Sorry. that what that means. But I will say, um, I don't want to get solipsistic. No, uh, you've never met a person who who interpreted all the scriptures the same way you do. You've never met a person who interpreted all the evidence of their senses the way you do. The suggestion here is that we are already doing it. Moral relativism. But I'll give you a couple of other examples. Uh, this one's real clear. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Exodus 20 says, thou shalt not kill. That's a, one of the 15 commandments mm-hmm. uh, before Mel Brooks dropped one of the tablets. <laughs> uh, so we know that. But then uh, people will say, well, that's a contradiction because later on, God will even tell the, the Israel to go to war. We say, and I think rightly so, that that's war. And what the, the scripture is says is really murder. Don't kill. But in war, the mm-hmm. rules are different. And I think certainly in a war, uh, for instance, in World War II, the aggression of the fascists had to be opposed, had to be opposed by the lives of patriots struggling against a force of darkness on the earth. Fascism, a force of darkness. In Judges... In chapter 4, we have two women who are at peace. The the scriptures are clear that they are not at war with uh, the people who are warring nearby. And one of those warriors staggers away from the battle and asks them to hide him, Mm -hmm. a place to lie down. He's asking for sanctuary. He's asking for asylum. And he's asking of people who are at peace with him. And they take him and they say, don't you worry your head one little bit. Come in here and lie down in the shade and we'll bring you a nice glass of lemonade. And he goes in there and lies down and they slam a 
tent peg through his head the minute he drifts off to sleep. Mm-hmm. And there's no sense that those women should should now be taken out and stoned to death because even though they're at peace with this guy, we're at war with them, Israel. Mm-hmm. It's kind of okay. It's the context that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. It's our enemy that they killed, so it's fine. They broke the rules of hospitality. They treated a stranger unkindly. Mm-hmm. There are multiple condemnations of that in the Bible. But here, it makes sense. It's perfectly okay. It's morally correct because he was our enemy, not the, the enemy of the women who did the act. But we don't care about that. And in Numbers, the book of Numbers, a man is stoned to death for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. They go to Moses. The, the law is so new. They catch this guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and they take him to Moses and say, hey, you didn't mention what you do to people who break this one. They took him outside of the camp, and they stoned him to they death. They stoned him to death. And it says, as the Lord commanded Moses. Yeah. Yeah. Moses says it's got to be death. Can't have any infractions of this one. So it's death. So then in the gospel of Mark, we have the disciples harvesting wheat on the Sabbath. Yeah. Can you describe what they're doing in that? Yeah, they're just uh, collecting some of the leftovers. They were going through and picking up some of the heads of grain um, yeah. and and kind of, you know, picking some and, and yeah, not not a full harvest. They're gleaning, I think. I mean, it's yeah. not mentioned here, but it reminds me very much of gleaning. I've, I've heard it described as they're rubbing the grains uh, between their hands and blowing the chaff away and eating the, mm-hmm. the kernels. Mm-hmm. I would say it's very parallel to picking up sticks. It's work. They're literally harvesting wheat. Right. This guy was picking up sticks. He's not chopping down trees. He's not uh, logging on the mm-hmm. Sabbath. He's picking up sticks. And maybe he has a fire he has to keep going. Doesn't matter. Death. Right. I think that's very parallel. Some people say, okay, we saw that. Now, you're, what are you going to do? You're going to let these guys uh, go out and get stoned. I mean, let us stone yeah. them. I don't mean they <laughs> big bong hits or something. Yeah. Or are you going to, you know, back away? Soft. They think he's soft. And he says two things. And the second one is, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I think that's exactly mm-hmm. the argument we are making on his behalf in a couple of these previous examples, right? It's who he is that makes the yeah. difference. But the first argument he says is an interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. It's what he doesn't do about divorce. He doesn't interpret the, the law differently for us. He contradicts it. And, and we have to just say, well, he can't. But here he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just rephrase it as humanity. Mm-hmm. It's not the Sabbath that is the important thing right. here. He reinterprets it. it with a, I would say, and I'm just going to say this out loud once, with a liberal <laughs> Interpretation. Yeah. If by liberal you mean allowing more things in, more inter- possibilities, more interpretations, you're going away from concrete one-to-one relationships. It's Bible says it, I buy it, so be it. He also does one other thing before that. Yeah. He, What's he do? He pulls out another scripture that's contradictory. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Oh, yes. In the days of Abathar, yeah. the high priest, he went into the house of God. They ate this consecrated bread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priest yeah. because David and his yeah. men were starving. The context is the rules are not always right. The, the context makes them right. He gives us an example, a counterexample, yeah. and he gives us a... Uh, an interpretation. He says, which of these weighs more, humanity or the Sabbath? And then he and then he puts a period on it by saying, and I'm I'm telling you now. <laughs> if you don't understand, uh, let me just say I'm telling you something different. I know that there was an also an idea in in my growing up time, and I think it's called dispensationalism. Yes, that uh, the the God of the Old Testament has certain laws and certain rules and certain ways of doing things, which all quite often seem more brutal. Yeah. Yeah. While 
the God represented in the New Testament, a different dispensation, says things like uh, love your neighbor, but also even love your enemy, turn your cheek, things like that. And the way this, right. this the way quite often this was explained to me was it's like the guy behind the desk had a certain way of doing things in the Old Testament. When we moved into the New Testament, the guy behind the desk has shifted and there's a different way there, which it seems to me is an attempt to change the nature of it's a it's a paradigm shift of some kind. Uh, yeah. Okay. I you know I'm ready to uh, entertain this hypothesis, right? That the the, okay. the universe has these kind of long-standing epochs, uh, and you could mm-hmm. say that there's one before the law is given. But uh, but if that's the case, so we have an epoch before uh, before Abraham, before the promise, mm-hmm. and then then we have the epoch of the promise of the promised land. And for the for the people living in it, they know that a promised land is coming. But when it gets there, they're not prepared for it. They don't recognize it necessarily. Really, I think um, the great bit by Mel Brooks where he drops one of the tablets and it shatters. It's a, Oops. Yeah, he's talking about, uh, in some way, the story of Moses throwing down the tablets. He threw them down yeah. because the people were not there, were not recognizing what it meant mm-hmm. to, to go to the promised land, to finally go. And then, uh, then we have that epoch of the law of Moses living in the promised land. And that epoch lasts right up until Jesus. This would be a Christian view. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus comes, nobody's prepared for him, and they don't recognize him when they see him. If that's the case, if that's the pattern, that's that's definitely been established. Is the pattern the the next coming, uh, the, the second coming, is the next epoch when Christ comes again? I am one hundred percent certain that the people waiting for him will not recognize that it's happened. It will not look like they think it's going to look. According mm-hmm. to this pattern, we could be in it now. Yeah. It could have happened. It could be happening. If you think it's going to be a guy with sandals on, a beard, and that kind of weird uh, nightgown that he's always wearing in the uh, in the illustrations, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Because that's exactly w- what we thought previously. We had ideas about what was going to happen. And those ideas proved to be absolutely mistaken. When it comes to the Bible, I'm interested in in finding a middle ground that doesn't say either this interpretation of this absolute scripture is fundamentally and absolutely flawless and correct. And true for all time. And true for all time. Versus uh, saying the Bible's utterly uh, worthless and, in fact, done more damage than anything. And, 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 yeah, that's and, true. And I honestly, hear that. Yeah, people say that. Honestly, the, the Bible may have done a lot of damage, and I, I wouldn't argue against that. But I want to say I'm interested in finding what value is there because it seems to me it's up to me to figure out what's its use. And, and find its usefulness and make use of it. That's great, Scott. Thanks. Uh, I, my, my battery's about to die. If you want more content like this, we're building a website at faithfulcrum.com. Or if you want to get in touch, email us at faithfulcrum at gmail.com. Well, Mark, you got any ideas for a hymn this time? Yes, uh, my hymn comes from the Short Attention Span Church. Uh, it lasts less than a minute, but God is busy. Without that Context is king in